Are you ready to begin? I am. Hello. <laughs> this is Sad Girl Syllabus, a commentary on media through the ages. Each season, we have a new syllabus to dive into. I'm Bethany. And I'm Mary. And we are two girls. Too sad. Let's jump into the syllabus. <laughs> we are still on holiday mode. <laughs> yeah, it's the end of summer, but we're still here. Clutching still here. it. Yeah, still here. Still also not here. <laughs> Abroad. Right. We're on vacay. <laughs> Things are escalating. The heat is getting to us. <laughs> uh, seeing yeah. mirages, doing questionable things, committing murder. You know, <laughs> <that kind of> <laughs> stuff. <laughs> Showing who we truly are by embodying what we thought we were not. <laughs> dun dun dun. Um, <laughs> today, uh, we're talking about the talented Mr. Ripley, an iconic American abroad, Americans abroad film. Yeah, truly iconic. I feel like this movie was the like impetus for the entire season of like, yeah. This is what we think of what we think of Americans abroad. Yeah, yeah. Um, this and Call Me by Your Name, which is funny because it feels like the talented Mr. Ripley plot-wise is like Call Me by Your Name gone wrong. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're so right, actually. I did see oh. there was yeah. Call me by your name. And I'll call myself by your name too. Oh. Um <laughs> Um, yeah. And also, I can't, I can't just, is it, is the story supposed to be taking place in the 1960s? Yes. Either 1950s or 1960s. Um, oh, in late 1950s, according to IMDb, but from there, yeah. From their their attire, it looks like yeah, fifties or sixties, right? Um, and the jazz is a big part of this, so I guess that makes sense. <laughs> One thing that I I do want to say um, before getting into like the meaty themes, it's so long. It's such a long movie. It is long. It does drag a bit. Yeah, I when I watched it last night, um, towards the end, there were certain parts where I was like, I have no recollection of this happening. Mm-hmm. And I realized it's because the first time that I watched it, I like completely fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, but, and then, and so what I wanted to say is like, I totally, back when we did the girl boss, uh, series and we were watching Anna Delvey and the, the Theranos, uh, series on Hulu and Netflix, I like had this illogical screed against Hulu and Netflix. And I was like, they just want they make mini series because they just want subscriptions and they just want to like hold viewers for longer than a month. But anyway, uh, I don't really think that that's true. <laughs> or rather, I don't, I don't I don't uh I think what is more the reality, which is more mundane, is just that people have lost attention spans and there's like yeah. higher demand for series because people don't want to sit through a feature. And uh, cause like Talented Mr. Ripley is so long, but that this is how long like a lot of movies in the 90s were yeah yeah it does feel like I would say the first like maybe two-thirds tension impeccable like you know you got the plotting great and then that last final third really sort of drags um I know I was like so shocked by like how fast he gets to Italy I was like I remember this taking longer and then you go 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 and then you really slow down I still think you're a little bit right about the um television well the the need to make series when things could be mm-hmm. just a feature I think it's both there's limited yeah. attention spans but they also know that's how they're going to make money yes yeah, if they yeah. drag it out I will say also before we get into this you know it's based 
this movie is based on a novel by Patricia Highsmith, who did end up making a series about Ripley. Um, so there's like three or four books in that. So, yeah. you know, we've always, I guess, always been doing it. She got the serial. Yeah. Um, but I all <laughs> last thing, I do love our commitment to not reading books this season. <laughs> <laughs> Lost Which of us didn't read it. Right. <laughs> Call me by Call name. name. No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> we will bring up the book each time and be like, didn't read it. And I've always wanted to read the novel of this, but didn't happen. I, f- I wonder it feels, how long it is. feels very summer. Not a, it's like we just didn't do the the summer reading homework <laughs> we watched the movie um i want to know how many pages it is it's it's like 252 pages it, how did they it seems like a two hour and 20 like it's almost it's basically a two and a half hour movie yeah like how did they get that out of a 250 page book that's amazing um yeah yeah who does the summer reading that's for nerds yeah we're not nerds on this podcast (laughs) Mm. Uh, yeah um yeah it's it's great (laughs) um I I had the same thought re-watching it I was like I I noted the time when the big climax of the film happens of the story happens and I was like wait we have an hour and 15 minutes left. <laughs> like, yeah. So the a quick summary of Talented Mr. Ripley. Um, again, there will be spoilers. Uh, this dude pays, offers to pay a, uh, well, sorry. Um, a, this dude offers to pay uh, like poor sort of social climber like leech kid who is like not in any kind of like he's like lower middle class and this wealthy man offers to pay him a thousand dollars to go to Italy to retrieve his millionaire like trust fund baby son who is like just squat uh, like squandering wealth and like not really working just like living in Italy and uh, with his girlfriend and just like having a great time he says and he this this wealthy man is speaking to tom ripley who is the uh lower class person who's like i will pay you a thousand dollars anyway tom ripley go is like yeah sure goes to italy meets uh uh greenleaf dickie greenleaf who is played by jude law who is yeah this is the era of jude law yeah this is the pinnacle of jude yeah. And there's also that like body scan. Like when you see Greenleaf, the Greenleaf character, there's like the body scan up from his feet. He's like on a chaise lounge on some Italian beach. And it's like up from his feet and his body is like golden brown glistening. And he has like all that. And and like Jude Law is so hairy. Like he has such a hairy chest. It's like, I don't know. But anyway, it's it's so yeah. Uh it's so fucking hot. <laughs> and sweaty. And sweaty. He is sweaty in this. um so then tom ripley goes and then he like he says he markets himself as like oh i went to princeton with you even though that's sort of like a lie um and he's just like i just want to be your friend kind of thing and dickie greenleaf is like okay i don't really remember you from princeton but whatever uh dickie greenleaf also has uh gwyneth paltrow as his girlfriend who is like writing a novel or something. She's like also living off of his trust funds dime and, and writing a novel. And Gwyneth Paltrow is to me good up until the end. Uh, but she's like good at being like this, like waspy, like great Cape Cod accent. Yeah. Very delicate looking. Yeah. Yeah. I would say for me, these three, the Jude Law, Matt Damon is Tom Ripley and Gwyneth Paltrow. Mm-hmm career highlights for all three of them yeah yeah and um yeah for sure uh sorry continue no no (laughs) well I'm just thinking about like there are so many like screen grabs from this show that like are on like aesthetic tumblr and shit like that uh (laughs) because it's just like they're an iconic trio but yeah so uh 
So then Tom Ripley says like, oh, I have many talents. Like I can do great impersonations of people, which is like red flag number one. And he, the way that he reveals to Dickie is that he was sent by his dad. He like does an impression of Dickie's dad and it's like uncanny. And he's like, and, and he like does an impression of the dad. And he says like, bring my son back to America or whatever. So anyway, so then, um, so yeah, so so then they just like have this adventure. Dickie Greenleaf is like, okay, fine. At the end of this summer, I'll go back to America with you. And it's like supposed to be fine. Then we find out that uh, Dickie Greenleaf is a playboy. He has made some woman pregnant in this like coastal city in Italy. Um, she ends up drowning herself because like Dickie is not going to leave Gwyneth Paltrow because that would be, he's not going to leave his waspy girlfriend for the heathen Italian Catholic. <laughs> uh <laughs> And it, there's even like this element of like anti, uh, like anti folksy Catholic when they have this like sinister looking like, uh, Mary festival. Like there's like mm-hmm. a, there's like this this island festival for Mary. Right. They like her stat. They bring her statue out of the water, and, that, and that's when her body is discovered. This woman's yeah. body is discovered, and yeah, and it's very like the. It's almost yeah. It's treated like it's paganism and like really and then they're like what look at this crazy shit like, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then it gets even like darker yeah and there's lots yeah. of like uncontrollable screaming and moaning and fighting and yeah. versus the like total shutdown of the like wasps <laughs> watching on the cliff yeah <laughs> yeah and uh yeah this woman that dickie uh, got pregnant ends up killing herself because she's gonna be like an unwed, unwed mother and uh, and Dickie's like really torn up about it. He is like kind of freaking out. Um, but then their summer continues. Philip Seymour Hoffman comes comes in as a character. Also, just like perfection, incredible, just incredible. <laughs> there are so many Philip Seymour Hoffman characters where it's just like some like weird misfit <laughs> side character, and somehow he like carries the entire thing. <laughs> like, like when is he coming back in? Come on. <laughs> yeah. He's like there for five minutes. <laughs> Obviously, like there are films where he's like the main character, which are also spectacular. But like somehow, like even as the side character, he like really carries it. Same with Cold Mountain. <laughs> he's like the speedy yeah. pastor guy. Oh. Yes. Oh, my God. I love him. But um, he is like also this like really wealthy playboy guy. And he kind of like he like understand something that doesn't reveal itself until a little bit later that Tom Ripley has a big crush on Dickie Greenleaf and Tom Ripley being like super East Coasty like suppresses his his feelings he suppresses his romantic feelings for Dickie but Philip Seymour Hoffman Freddie can detect it and he's like and he like points out where like Tom Ripley is like being like perverse and it sort of gets under his skin then you hit the you reach the climax where Tom Ripley is like has I don't know become really delusional and thinks that him and Dickie are gonna like run away together he's like sort of best friends with Gwyneth Paltrow but also like hates her because he's jealous of her <laughs> and uh he goes out boating with Dickie and he's just like and he like sort of confesses his love and he's like I know that you love me back and Dickie is like what the fuck I'm not gonna go back to America with you he reveals himself he reveals that to Tom Ripley he's like I'm actually gonna marry Marge which is Gwyneth Paltrow Paltrow's character and he's like I'm not gonna like involve myself in your scheme with my dad kind of thing and Tom Ripley is like what and then kills him (laughs) (laughs) murders him by like hitting him with an oar and then is just like oh shit like what have I done and they have like this fight and he kills him and there's such another speaking of iconic this like image of them in the boat they're like intertwined and Jude Law is dead and Matt Damon is like cuddling his dead body it is just so good (laughs) there's like some beautiful moments in the yeah i I don't know i love it and using italy as the backdrop which is the same as with call me by your name it's just like this is so like it's so sensual in the sense that like all of your sense like you you feel like you can yeah it feels it feels great to be there so he's murdered dicky this is such an overwrought <laughs> summary. I'm sorry. Um, I love it. I, I love like this movie. Hour long movie. Yeah. 
Um, and then so so Tom Ripley has to uh pretend that like like he he like sort of spins this tale that like Dickie has ran off, wants to be alone. He like that's what he tells Gwyneth Paltrow. He's like, he wants to be alone and like sort of makes uh himself this into this like uh go between mm-hmm. with with Dickie and like the rest of the world who's looking for him. And then he goes to Rome and he stays in Dickie's apartment in Rome or or I can't remember. Yeah. It's like a hotel situation. Anyway, he starts impersonating Dickie. That's Tom Ripley. Yeah. yeah. Becomes becomes Dickie Greenleaf and um writes letters to Gwyneth Paltrow to Marge saying like I don't want to get married anymore kind of thing and he just like lives this lavish life of luxury as Greenleaf but then also um but then also as like getting this allowance from Dickie's dad because Dickie's dad thinks that he's still like doing the job um, of bringing him back anyway uh things start to unravel Philip Seymour Hoffman again comes in and is just like wait a minute I know what you're up to like where is Dickie what's happening he ends up killing Philip Seymour Hoffman and then once this guy, Freddie, who is also who was by virtue of like also being wealthy and influential and like a total playboy, people start really questioning that Tom Ripley decides to write a suicide, a fake suicide note where it's Dickie admitting to the crime of killing Freddie and then killing himself. Um, eventually, Tom, as Dickie gets a new boyfriend, who's this like musician, a, f- a, f- a replacement of Dickie because Dickie is mm-hmm. a saxophonist. Whereas like his new boyfriend is, oh, it's just so laden where his new boy <laughs> with the like meaning his new boyfriend is this like classical musician, mm-hmm. which is like the opposite of jazz. Anyway, his lies start to spin out. Gwyneth Paltrow starts suspecting him of killing Dickie. And then, but, but he somehow like his, his lies have all managed to work and yes. he gets away with it. Gwyneth Paltrow, this is where I think that her performance falls short. She, uh, like tries to lash out at at Matt Damon and she's just like I know you killed him and she like starts hitting him she should have been crazier it would have been a better contrast of her character as like this suppressed waspy woman and then when the rest of the world is gaslighting her she like goes crazy yeah I I, yeah Gwyneth Paltrow is just like not that strong but (laughs) it's it is like I, th- I think you're right because you also have Dickie's dad who comes over to investigate what happened to Dickie um, be- and being like, in the end, being like, Tom, we know you didn't do it. <laughs> and we know that you're hiding the fact that he impregnated this lady who killed herself. Like, you're a good friend. Here's all of the money. Um, peace to you. And that would like make you go crazy as a woman who's being told like, okay, you're like, you're being irrational. Right. I think that it could have been a more, a bigger performance. He almost, he also almost kills her character. Um, yeah. Had, but his, his new boyfriend comes through. Yeah. Yeah. So she should have just been crazier anyway. <laughs> then eventually um at the very end he's like living off of this trust fund because the dad bequeaths dickie's trust fund to him or parts of it so he like gets so he gets so wealthy he's like finally anyway um and he is on a boat to greece with his boyfriend and then he happens to run into is it kate blanche it's kate blanchett yeah very yeah just yeah looking good yeah um and she is like she's a character throughout like she she meets tom on his journey into italy the first time she's sort of like on the outskirts of this social cir- circle and he like sort of casts her aside because she she doesn't have like the clout that he needs i guess or that's was my interpretation yeah i think that's right i loved this bit on her character where everyone's like oh do you know da 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 of like all of these expat americans who are in italy and she's like oh i haven't had the chance to meet them yet but yeah Yeah. like i know the name (laughs) and the same and with like freddie miles the philip seymour hoffman character she's like oh of course everybody knows who freddie miles is and like you know he uh, he he probably doesn't remember me but we've chatted we've chatted (laughs) which is like that is 
I feel like it's also very like of the 1950s time, but like, that's also what living in New York is like now. Like, <laughs> I was like, ah, I feel that like a literal, like, do not ask them if they know me. Cause they will say who the fuck, but I have met them. <laughs> and I don't mean that in a clout chaser way of just a, like, I know they will not remember who I am. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but the, and then so many people try to like get into places by being like, we've chatted. Yeah, like they know I'm coming and they don't. <laughs> um, so yeah, Kate Blanchett's character is like, is is interesting. She sort of is like the mirror to Tom Ripley. But anyway, he happens to, she knows him as Tom. He's been impersonating Dickie this whole time. Um, uh, and like, and and yeah, she she knows him from before. Anyway, he runs into her on this boat to Greece. And he like asks her, like, are you alone? And she's like, no, I'm with my entire family. Like there's many people. So he knows that he can't kill her because there would be people who immediately like are going to investigate, come after, like look for her. So, um, so in order to prevent his boyfriend from meeting her and having her unravel his web of lies, uh, he kills the boyfriend at the very, very end. Oh, yes. After that, like little soliloquy that's not what a soliloquy is but whatever but it's like he's like what do you like about me because they've had this like long conversation where we get more into it of like having another person like know you like really know you and like the dark things that you keep hidden Mm -hmm. and he was like oh I know Tom is talented I know it Tom is da 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 Tom is like da 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 and then he as he's saying it, he kills him. He strangles him slowly. <laughs> oh. It's like, oh, stop. And then it's done. It's and, great. and yeah, it's really, really good. Um, uh, you don't see, I like, I feel like it's significant that you don't see him being killed, the, the boyfriend. Whereas like with the Jude Law thing, um, you see all of it you see him start to like bleed from the side of his face kind of thing. It's very gory. And I feel like that's significant. I wonder why they made that choice. Maybe it's Mm. because they had to like wrap it up. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) That's a great, they spent too much money on fake blood. I feel like, yeah. And maybe there is like the killing of Jude Law's character is like inevitable. Like, Mm -hmm. like, Mm. you know, that he's going to do something to Jude Law. And they're like a little more like Jula is a dick. He is a huge dick in this movie. Um, the boyfriend is much sweeter and so forgiving of like everything Tom Ridley yeah. has done that it is like this betrayal, a greater betrayal somehow. And I feel like you're like, oh, Tom, like you are like you're beyond fucked when you killed Jula, but you were like, you're gone. Yeah. You know, like you're gone at this point. Yeah, yeah, because there's also you also see him kill Freddie as well. You see yeah. him like hitting him, bashing him in with this statue. So it's just like, yeah, it's like too shameful. And I feel, yeah, like you can, <laughs> I, I think it's set up that like both, yeah, Freddie and Dickie are assholes, just yeah. like true yeah. assholes. But the boyfriend's always been very kind. He's been yeah. like very sweet to Gwyneth Baltrow and very sweet. It's Tom, the murderer, the murderer. He's like, <laughs> she's just crazy. There's like, we know you didn't do it, Tom. We know you did not do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So oh, it's, it's so good. It's like a really like just a great adaptation. It it's is a great book adaptation. Yeah. And I would say in terms of this season, I loved just the like true, like they really get into it of like how these expats live in Italy versus like how the actual town, like, you know, they're in a kind of more remote um, sort of village and like their use, I would like really mean like they're using that village for like their backdrop versus the people who actually live there and how they they talk about the people who live there and sort of like the costume they put on as Americans abroad, like the way that 
Philip Seymour Hoffman and Jude Law use Italian, like the way they speak Italian to each other, like it's a joke, you know, like they're like, oh, that's a good observation, you know, like, like really big yelling across the street to each other. Like, it's like so funny to them that they're in. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And every, and then they get annoyed at the same time that like, things are so primitive and backwards and yeah etc there yeah it's yeah it's it's just so american exceptionalism mm-hmm. and but they also can't help it but like totally fetishize and desire and yearn for the aesthetics of of um this like of the civilization um and sort of like criticizing it for not being as modernized as America but like being being annoyed at it and frustrated at it but also like being totally taken up by it and like loving the beauty which is yeah it's exactly what you just said that is what it means to be an American tourist in Europe (laughs) I saw that reminds me I saw maybe it was like a tweet and it was like Europeans love to shit on American tourists because it's like you're the only one who's wearing tennis shoes, like whatever. Baseball cap or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You can always tell the American tourists. Yeah. And then the rest of the tweet was like, but bitch, we know when you're a European in America because you're the only one like at a Walmart in high heels and an evening gown. (laughs) I saw some variations of the team. It's like, and yet like European dudes when they're like anywhere outdoors in the, on a U.S. trip and they're like wearing dress shoes. (laughs) smoking (laughs) we love it we love the global superpowers warring with each other (laughs) culturally i mean american tourists should be mocked that is true yeah that is true but also (laughs) europeans can be mocked too for wearing dress shoes on an on a trail (laughs) it it is funny i know i've had you know like multiple customer service jobs in new york where I feel like I interacted more with tourists than like customer service jobs in like Seattle, Mm -hmm. European tourists, I guess I Mm -hmm. should say. And the amount of their sales tax, (laughs) like an additional tax on the price you gave me, like, can you just nullify it? I'm not from the US. And it's like, (laughs) that's not how sales tax works. (laughs) I'm not a US citizen. I can't pay this tax. Uh, that's funny. It's like we all got a pit. <laughs> How else do you expect us to finance a globalized military? Yeah, come that on. That tyrannizes you. What do you expect? <laughs> oh God. Um. Yeah, yeah. It really does get at the essence, and like, and. It re- I, I do think that this is like a foil to call me by your name because call me by your name like they don't uh, like they speak Italian to their like Italian housekeeper with like respect and like this like oh we're culturally diverse and like we respect all cultures and we want to like make and, and like when we're with each other like we speak English or whatever but like when we're out in the town we're like totally Italian and we love it and it's yeah, it's just like this rose-colored. Call me by your name is rose-colored talented Mr. Ripley. <laughs> it is. It so is. Uh, also, like it's funny to see the criticism of like Matt, like Jude Law and um, Philip Seymour Hoffman sort of make fun of Tom Ripley, Matt Damon's character for not being cool enough like not Mm. being the cool american abroad because he's like he's too pasty he's sort of button-upped and even more repressed than they are like he's he doesn't let go um he's so clean cut and i loved that bit because it's like oh matt damon's trying so hard to fit into this world yeah but he'll never get that ease that they have yeah like he'll just never have that like upper class yeah influence and ease that they do until he's kind of starts impersonating dickie yeah and has his money and And has his money yeah there's also another part that i really liked where um 
right before he kills Jude Law, they go to San Remo together, right? Um, yeah. And they're like on their like boys trip or whatever. Um, and uh, Jude Law takes him to a jazz club and he's like, oh, I love, and he, and he like sort of makes this like dig backhanded compliment at Matt Damon because he's like, what I like about you, Tom, is that you weren't raised with wealth. You weren't raised with money. Like so many people at Princeton or like so many like uh, trust fund babies, they like are born with everything and they have a taste for nothing. And he's just like, they just like, don't get it. Like, he's like, that's what I like about you is because you, you he's like, I like that you're poor. <laughs> And, and, um, you can tell that that like totally gets under Tom's skin, of course. And then I feel like when he, uh, is living as Dickie, he like tries to surround himself with these like culturally beautiful, he tries to like push back on that by like being like, I have taste, I have good taste and I'll surround myself with beautiful things. Right. Like busts. And that's one of the things that like Philip Seymour Hoffman comes in the apartment. It's like, Dickie does not live here. Like he would never buy the stuff. <laughs> Yeah, but you didn't get it right, Tom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I love Philip Seymour Hoffman. I lo- oh my god, I feel like the whole movie it could have just been that scene where Philip Seymour when they're on the boat and Philip Seymour Hoffman's like, "How's the peeping, Tommy? Tommy, 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 Tommy!" <laughs> like, and like, <laughs> it's like the greatest. And like he's doing, it's Philip Seymour Hoffman's voice, but he's like exaggerating it to the extreme. So it's like Tommy. Tommy like it's so like sardonic and it's amazing it's amazing that's that's why I feel like if he were the director and if he could have directed (laughs) Gwyneth Paltrow in that last final scene with her where she's like I know you did it Tom like because I feel like the director was probably like um uh okay Gwyneth you have to be like crazy and you have to be like totally riled up and totally angry and like let it all out. And she just thinks that it means like hitting Matt Damon on the head. Like, uh, I, I feel like she could have been weird like that, like Philip Seymour Hoffman, like done something totally like neurotic and crazy. This also makes me think of this is so such a tangent, but it makes me think of like uh, Meryl Streep in um, Big Little Lies, mm. like what works with Meryl Streep as like this crazy overbearing mother is she does oh man, she's so good in Big Little Lies. She does this thing in one of the scenes when she's like getting nervous and she has this nervous tick and she puts her necklace in her mouth. Like this total weird child move. And I don't know, it just like makes you, it makes the character of that mom like just freaky. And I feel like when Faltrow could have like leaned into some weird neurotic shit. But anyway. Yeah, she doesn't really have anything besides being like, yeah, she just, there's not a lot of flavor there, which I think is the point. She's like mm, sure, the good. Yeah. I'm like, what novel are you writing? <laughs> What's happening in the novel? Because <laughs> uh, you're not, there's not much. She's very nice. Yeah. She forgives all of anything that Dickie does, all of his transgressions. Because as she talks with Tom, it's like everyone just wants to be in his light so mm-hmm. he can do nothing wrong and everyone's always going to forgive him for anything he does and that's what yeah it's always a question to me is like oh does tom ever actually love jude law's character or is it just like he's obsessed with him and wants to yeah. be yeah like- yeah which is such a part of also this this conversation around homosexuality where it's like homosexuality at the time when it's so repressed it's really hard to be able to decipher if you love someone or you want to be them because like you're not allowed Mm. to express your love for them and so you like can't really explore whereas like with um, a heterosexual relationship like as a woman if you have a crush on a man since you can sort of express that you can really like explore that feeling that you have for for a person of the opposite gender if you're heterosexual Whereas like if you're homosexuality in a time when it's in the 1950s, you it's sort of like, oh, this person is charismatic. This person is the same gender as me is charismatic. And I don't know if I'm like drawn, pulled into that because of who they are or if I like am in love with them and and I'm Hmm. not allowed to explore if I'm in love with with him kind of thing. And so, yeah, that's always like a that's a blurry point in the narrative. 
Yeah. And it's always like, I mean, I feel like you, you know, Tom from the movie, but at the same time, there's like, what the fuck are you doing, Tom? Like what is happening in your head? Yeah. Cause he yeah. is. So, and that's like a big part of like the, like, yeah, the deepest dirt, like no one ever knowing truly what's in your mind. And it's like, yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally. I feel like Matt Damon is at least in the, fr- especially in the first half of this movie. Incredible. This yeah. is like the best acting I've ever seen on Matt Damon. I know. I know. Wait, what is the born identity about? Is he like having to impersonate? <laughs> Matt Damon's career is kind of a series of like taking on other person, people's personalities or like, you know, that's also the case for um, what's the Martin's uh, the departed. Oh, interesting. He's, uh, he's infiltrating the police as a, a mobster rat. Nice. Uh, nice talent, Matt Damon. Born identity, he's like a trained, I don't, it's been so long since I've seen it, but like a trained super soldier, basically. Oh, okay, okay. Who, I don't remember if he's supposed to have been killed, but his memory has been w- w- wiped. Oh, okay. So he's like trying to figure out what's happening, but he like knows multiple languages. He has multiple passports and he can do like insane martial arts. So <laughs> very talented <laughs> he's, he has many talents uh another great part of the scene where he's like oh jude law's like do you have any talents tom and tom's like mm, i can yeah impersonate anyone i can forge any signature <laughs> all red flags I know. and jude law's like that's too many talents man like come live in my house <laughs> yeah the suspense is so good in that lead up oh it's it's such a good thriller because there are so many foreshadows it's just like it's an exceptional story it was good love it I love it um (laughs) oh I had a train of thought I was gonna say something oh yeah um contrasted with call me by your name where uh, this is another like comparison contrast thing um in an environment where Timothy Chalamet's character. What's his name? Elio? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, he, he, he grows up in a very um, accepting family. Mm. He doesn't feel repressed necessarily. Like he knows that his dad will accept him, whoever he is, because his dad grew up in a very suppressed uh, culture. And so... And so he gets to explore his sexuality. He still knows that like there's like duty or whatever. And he, and there's still like tragedy in the fact that like Army Hammer has to leave and like have his like heterosexual family or whatever back in America. But like, there's still this like, um, it doesn't go awry because there is this like, uh, there's a moment of escape this like escapist fantasy like provides the moment and the context for him to explore it and Mm -hmm. so whereas like even in um yeah in this in this setting even in in like a remote island in italy like there's still a bunch of barriers for tom ripley to like not be able to honestly explore his own feelings i don't know yeah oh my gosh that and it's like jude law is sort of i don't know Jude Law is an interesting character because in much that like Tom is a leech of Jude, Jude seeks out people who are leeching off of him. Yeah. Like he wants, he wants the people who are like, Oh my God, you're the greatest Jude. Oh, I love you. They keep calling him Jude. Um, <laughs> and then he gets bored with them and annoyed with them, but he's always looking for that attention. So he, you do have a, like the bath chess scene where it's like, like come on like you would not do this with anyone else unless you were leading them on like yeah yeah this is so weird his whole lifestyle and his self-concept is predicated on other people needing him Mm -hmm. but the minute that they become too needy it's like it's bad that's another like really tragic part when uh um when tom delivers this like fake letter to marge gwyneth paltrow and and it's like it's like her favorite perfume and, but it's basically this like letter where Dickie 
quotes air quotes uh fake dicky says like i'm not gonna be engaged to you i don't want to get married to you anymore and then she's like crying and she's just like i just you know we were talking about we would move in together in rome and she was like but i i brought up marriage and uh what's the line she's like i'm just afraid that i put too much pressure on him to get married and that's where you really see it that like he is this he it's like beyond it's not even like a playboy thing it's just like a person who is so um it's it's a man who is so in need of other people needing him but the minute that they are actually honest with him about that need for him he like yeah he's gone yeah Um, which is it was like in a way like tom does create believable lies because it makes sense that he would ditch her yeah you know yeah, like exactly he's fully like he's a psychopath and he's fully like taken up the characteristics yeah, yeah. and can read people um you know it's <clears throat> um it's just funny like i just i feel like this is so much this is so much more substantive because it has a great story to go with it I, and the last daughter is a really good story too but like i the the bigger splash and the lost daughter are just sort of like i like was you know was not as energetic (laughs) (laughs) no same i feel like they are like those like vibes um and sort of laconic and like just like they're slow purposefully slow and it is about like a i guess not a smaller story but like it is less dramatic. Um, yeah. And and this one is like so, yeah, there's just so much going on. And I feel like people are at the height of their game. This, uh, <laughs> I, I was like Matt Damon. I didn't remember like a lot of this movie. And yeah. I, he really surprised me. He's great. It's like, what did you, why did you decide to do Action Star? If you could have just been creep your <laughs> yeah, entire totally. life. <laughs> totally. Like Philip Seymour Hoffman is like like really committed to that like vile character and it made his career amazing. He is incredible. Tommy. Tommy, 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 Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> He's so freaky. Matt <laughs> um, Damon is not in dead poet society right no um it's that other guy ethan ethan hawk right yes Yes. and that guy from house the show (laughs) yeah (laughs) wait who's in swing kids then also ethan hawk oh fuck um (laughs) yeah i get them all mixed up and then goodwill hunting is matt damon okay but then um What's that one military movie where they're like, you can't handle the truth? It's Tom Cruise. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you know who we're, I think, confusing Ethan Hawke with? Ethan Hawke still might be in it, but Christian Bale is in Swing Kids, as is, is this the kid's name? Oh, the guy from ER. This wait this robert hold on (laughs) shit i think we're confusing ethan hawk with robert lawrence or sorry robert sean leonard no he is the house guy he is house he is house who the fuck is in dead poet society shit wait yeah no robert sean lawrence Sean Leonard is in Dead Poets Society as and Ethan Hawke. Okay. okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then Ethan Hawke and Robert Sean Leonard are both in Swing Kids. Oh. Ethan, I, I think, let me. I think Ethan Hawke might not be in Swing Kids. I think it's just Robert Sean Leonard and Christian Bale who ends up being bad. Oh, wait. Hold on a minute. <laughs> Whoa. Hold on. I'm on the Swing Kids IMDb. <laughs> Um, Ethan Hawke was supposed to be in Swing Kids. Turned down the role. 
Ethan. What Wait. what role is he? Um, he was supposed to be Peter Mueller, which was, ended up being played by I don't know. <laughs> um, oh, apparently, I'm on the uh, Swing Kids IMDb <laughs> trivia page. The film is included on Robert on Roger Ebert's most hated list. Wow. You know what? Have you watched it in a while? Uh, no. It's been a few years. I feel like it's maybe not good. <laughs> I haven't seen it since I was like, I don't know, a teen, a young yeah. teen. Yeah. Ugh. You're like, it's just objectively bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, if Roger said so. Um, Swing yeah. kids. Um, but that's crazy. That's like a crazy, like, psyop, like, egregore, like, psychological thing. If, like, we felt like Ethan Hawke was in it and then he wasn't, but he was offered a role. That's crazy. Um, he was a little bit everywhere, I feel like, at that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Ethan. Um, what's her name? Mia? Maya Hawke? Mm-hmm. Um, it's crazy. When I watched her in Swing Kit. When I watched her. <laughs> Swing kids too. <laughs> um, when I watched her in Stranger Things, like there are certain moments where she looks exactly like uh, Uma Thurman, and then she looks exactly like Ethan Hawke. It's crazy. It is honestly sort of disturbing, <laughs> like how much she looks like both of them. And then I'm like, maybe they look a lot like each other. Is that what's going on? Because they're both pretty distinct faces. Right. Right. But maybe I don't they know. do. I don't. Yeah. I don't know. It's a weird, weird phenomenon. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, Matt Damon is just is is really really good, and he like him and Jude Law together, they're like the Robert Sean Leonard, Ethan Hawke like foils as well. <laughs> they are. Um, yeah. Um, it's just like a pantheon of like sad girl poster boys. Oh yeah, I mean nineties. The 90s. <laughs> I, uh, someone, one time I was like hanging out with a group of people and like someone happened, I don't know if they looked this up or how they f- figured this out. It was like this piece of trivia that was like, for some weird reason, like in 1999 specifically, um, like major generation defining blockbusters were made in 1999. Like hmm. tight, not tight. It, I, I can't, it was like all these like iconic movies were all produced in 1999. It was, it was weird. And it sort of like seems like the last, the final year of like good cinema. <laughs> well, that's like, what Y2K did. It was, it didn't do any of the things we thought it was going to do. It just destroyed movies. Yeah. <laughs> Which like, but, and, and I think that, cause that was also at a time where like network television started making movies, but like in order for mm. network television to make movies, you had to like fit it into a two hour slot, which meant that it had to be 80 minutes because commercials then yeah, people's, uh, attention spans start diminishing maybe yeah. worse by the internet. Yeah. And I would say, I think this is, people have talked a lot about this, but I think including this movie and the talented Mr. Ripley really don't make movies like this anymore yeah that aren't like fantastical in any way are sort of like drama thrill thrillers yeah this one I wouldn't really even call a thriller but bordering that line or like any like adult dramas like those barely get made anymore yeah yeah I think that that's what uh drove me to like just seek out a lot of horror films because horror films are the only place where you really get that because like the narrative has to be propped up by like suspense and scary shit yeah um it's like the last good genre (laughs) but like also like now and this has also like been memed to the like outer space but uh this uh, the a24 Mm. productions are all sort of like trying to get at this like crazy thriller but like they're just so over the top that now they like have devolved into this meme. Yeah. <laughs> Did you see that one that was like a 
TikTok video of like kids worshiping a duck on a big boulder. And it was like, what in the A24? (laughs) (laughs) It was really good. I watched the most recent scream that they made uh, last year. They made another one? They did. It was not good, in my opinion. I know people liked it, but I thought it was quite terrible. Um, but they do, you know, it's meta, screams meta. So um, they made a joke about like A24, like not being like an A24 art house movie, basically like art house horror is destroying horror. Like, <laughs> uh, that's or good. like loving that, like not liking the, the slashers. And they're like, okay, yeah will make a slasher except I don't think they really made a good slasher but oh, whatever oh. like not a true slasher there was uh, a lot yeah. of it was dumb anyways um <laughs> not, my review of scream four. Oh wait no that was scream five anyways yeah okay took Wes um, Craven's name in vain that's all I'm saying I'm sorry for that rant no it was good it's great um <laughs> need to get my letterbox going <laughs> um i i'm just like skimming the scream wikipedia and it says um to avoid any plot leaks <laughs> numerous versions of the screenplay were produced and several additional scenes were filmed oh this is the, the most recent one yeah yeah mm-hmm. That makes sense. Um, nice, but uh, yeah, I just I truly love the original Scream so much, and yeah, so I am one of those like old salty people when they make a new movie. Okay, I keep going. I keep saying that I'm going to stop, and then I just keep going. <laughs> Need to make a whole other release for, just for Scream. Yeah, maybe for Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um, I going back to talented Mr. Ripley. <laughs> <laughs> you know, made not too far apart in time from each other. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, I think that uh, uh, what I what I also respect about it and and like about it and and this is again another recurring theme that we've been talking about with all the other movies as well um like we talked about this with the lost daughter where you go away on vacation and you're like able to just like sit with yourself a little bit and you're able to like sort of there's like either you use a vacation to fully escape yourself or you use the vacation to like sit with yourself and you can like go sort of crazy um exploring your own like self-concept and your your past or whatever but this um is like uh you know and and this is like kind of a very mm, norm like basic analysis I guess (laughs) but (laughs) but you know he goes Tom Ripley goes to Europe on someone else's dime because he never would have been able to go to Europe um on his own with his own money or lack of money and he is going and it's this like escape and he feels uh suddenly not a lot of pressure because he doesn't have to like work he's just like going on a holiday and so it is escapist but then he's like instead of any introspection on himself obviously because he's there like to do a, a job he um escapes himself even and just like pretends to be something that he's not because he wants to finally have like a fresh start or whatever or like he wants to make a different kind of impression than he makes in America and then the basic analysis is this that it's like you start to be pretend you start to pretend to be something that you're not but then the thing that you think you're not is actually what you truly are mm. which is a cold-blooded murderer but <laughs> <laughs> and, and I, I think, also yeah keep going well I think that there's sorry this will be quick I think that there's also something interesting like Americans abroad or like people in in another country where the the language isn't their own like that sort of also lends itself and this goes back to your point of like them sort of speaking Italian to each other but like doing so in like a 
um, in a comical way. Like there's something about having to like learn another language that like allows you to also like be an impersonator. Mm -hmm. Like you, you sort of practice your impersonation skills based on how well you can like manage the language and like get at the idiosyncrasies and stuff. Yeah, no, I think that's like exactly it. And I think for this movie is interesting because it has like essentially this upper crust that lives in Italy is like, oh no, I went here on vacation and I'm never leaving the vacation. I've decided that there's, I'm just going to stay on vacation for my whole life. Um, and that's all it is for me. You know, like, it's not like they're, it's not like Dickie Greenleaf is like really looking to settle down. He's constantly looking for a new place to move mm-hmm. or it's like just as exciting. And like, there's something new to do. There is no, and he'll never go back to the U S because he never wants to leave the vacation, which he can do because he's rich enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the same with Patrick, um, Patrick, Philip Seymour Hoffman's character, <laughs> Patrick Wilson, I wish was also in this movie. Oh, wow. Bring him back. That would have been been too much. (laughs) Too many girls would have lost their minds. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. (laughs) I would have. Yeah, but like that's what they're doing. And and to an extent, that's what Gwyneth Paltrow is doing too, but she's pretending like, oh, I'm writing a novel or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's just like this, a total retreat. Right. Um, you don't like they're not actually like living in Italy. Yeah. They're just on constant vacation. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you like uh, it's so weird. Maybe. Maybe you feel this, too, being well, I don't know, like it's. It's it's so weird to to think about this um, from the perspective of like being in a place where so many tourists flock to Mm. but like tons of tourists flock to LA tons of tourists flock to New York and yet and and you can feel it in some places like you just said like you working many customer service jobs in New York and like being introduced to like all the tourist influx yeah and like you're just you're there living your life like you're in New York living your life and then like encountering tourists and then like, but I, and, and somehow I felt less of that living in New York and I feel it way more presently in New Mexico where people are like, like totally on this like escape and they just want to like not be themselves. And they just like, they get wrapped up in the like lore <laughs> of, of this place. And, um, and it's just like, I'm just trying to live here. <laughs> like I, there's a certain, it bring like the, the tourist energy of like trying to escape their own reality it like affects a place it makes the place feel like it's not a place to live or settle it's like just a place to that is left (laughs) like people come and go I think that is very true I mean I assume that like you know there is this distinction of like New York is like filled in LA too filled with people who aren't from here and moved here so you do have that like juxtaposition um But I do think that's like treated any place that's like slightly more rural than like a Mm -hmm. big, big city. LA also, I would say, is a weird spot because I'm not working like totally customer service jobs here. Um, I feel like I now know more like transplants um, Mm -hmm. than anything else. And I would say one weird thing is like, I mean, everybody has an opinion about LA. That's fine. Um, <laughs> I don't give a shit. Um, but then, uh, I have noticed at least with like a younger crowd of transplants who came from elsewhere, like a real lack of engaging with what yeah. the actual city is or their yeah. actual community and like a total lack of knowledge about even like the neighborhood that they're in. Yeah. Um, which I find really weird. You know, like, cause that to me feels like, oh, you're, you're taking a pit stop for, and you're going to like live in the cool area or like whatever the hot neighborhood is. And that's just, you know, it's a moment that you're here. You're not planning to actually be here. 
Right. And maybe that is also explains the weird, like slightly different feeling of a big city versus, um, versus in New Mexico, where it's like a little bit more remote is like LA and New York are full of transplants. There's always like this influx of people. It feels like there's always like a turning over of soil of people who have no, um, anchoring to the city's past and to the city's identity because they haven't tried to get to know it. They're just like going with the trend. And so that creates like tourists are flocking there and it creates this like, um, environment where it's just full of people who have like clung on to like a myth of Los Angeles and they're not encountering, um, they're not encountering the substance beneath it that still exists, but it's like erased by the fact that there it's like, it's erased by the fact that there are so many transplants and it's, um, uh, and like the transplants also like kind of like the, the myth can like perpetuate itself because of like whatever companies have like seized on the opportunity or whatever. Um, whereas like in a place that's more rural where there are people who have lived there for generations, right. Um, you feel like it people tourists have a different attitude to those places. And you see this in, in, yeah, in Santa Fe and in Taos, like people, tourists are like, oh, this is the authentic New Mexico. And like, Mm. you get the sense that they're like looking in and they're like observing and only to leave. Whereas like when there's transplants, it's just sort of like, you can sort of tell when you go to New York, like, oh, I'm at this like big city cradle of like New York, uh, cradle of American culture or whatever. Um, but I can't really see it because all I'm encountering is other transplants who are like making it work here. Whereas like, if you're a tourist coming to New Mexico, it's just like, whoa, I'm actually like seeing like locals, (laughs) like look at the local natural habitat. Yeah. I think that's very true. And I think Uh, that that happens in like, in places like small islands in Italy, as opposed to Rome. Lots of people from around Europe go to live in Rome and it's like, it's way different. It's way metropolitan. It's less folksy. Right. Not observing. Yeah. Definitely. There's an observation thing. of like, look at the locals, like sort of crazy. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but now I, I, yeah, this is like always my rant. So sorry, but like, it's going to be, it's going to, be interesting there's like lots more transplants coming to new mexico right and they all like they they but all the transplants their first like couple of years here they're always like oh um when am i gonna be a local like they always have this like weird measure of like when they're gonna be which is in new york and la too that is true i feel like that's i remember that being like always a question of like when can you call yourself a new yorker like how yeah. long do you have to have lived here and it was like some people were like never unless you were born here <laughs> Or like 10 years is it, you know, or whatever. Like when you get first get mugged or like blah, 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 blah. Like something stupid like that. But yeah, when when can I consider myself authentic is kind of what it feels like the question is really. Like when am I authentically it? Yeah. That's also like, I don't know, that's probably like a deeper American anxiety too, because like America is the melting pot and America is people from all over Europe coming in to immigrate here. And so when Americans go abroad um, and they are, and they go to a remote San Remo island in Italy where people have lived for generations, you're also confronted, an American is confronted with the reality that like, oh, my I have American exceptionalism but like my family in one place only dates back 200 years like that's pathetic (laughs) by comparison if you're measuring by time if your standard of measure is time (laughs) (laughs) yeah so wow talented Mr. Ripley really just like gets it it does I loved it Doing my Italian hand gesture here. <laughs> yeah, the chef's kiss, which is actually Italian. Bellissima. Um. <laughs> Bellissima. Bellissima. Uh. 
we're about to get into darker territories if you can believe it somehow even darker even darker there's many murders um (laughs) people are driven to to more murders driven to more murders and this one i feel like in this like final episode like really see the tables turned on the unwitting or ignorant tourist yep the consequences that have caught up to them yeah (laughs) yeah i'm excited me too mayhem (laughs) one of them i still haven't seen so i need to oh i just i did it this weekend it was a lot was a lot bethany i'm interested to know your thoughts on i know exactly the one you haven't seen (laughs) (laughs) um very very interesting (laughs) i okay i already have thoughts even before i've even seen it so i'll just you know i'll just write it down save it for next week uh (laughs) yeah cool well um thanks for listening guys guys and sad girls all the all the sads <laughs> the sad ones the sad ones <laughs> thanks for listening oh sad one uh <laughs> yeah catch you later goodbye did you know um there's a place on the internet where you can get exclusive access to Sad Girl Syllabus News. You can join our Sad Girls Club by signing up for our newsletter at sadgirlsyllabus.com. And with the newsletter, you'll see updates on new episodes, um, announcements on content and stuff, uh, extra insights, links, reading lists, resources um, that don't make it into the podcast episodes. And when you sign up, you get a little gift from us. It's a reading list. Um, a true a, a sad girl syllabus actual syllabus <laughs> sad girls 101 and if you want to support the podcast you can head over to patreon.com slash sad girl syllabus and for five bucks a month you can watch all of our director's cut video episodes uh, and get bonus episodes uh, when they come out uh, if you like what you hear also Please think about rating the pod on Apple Podcasts, sharing this podcast with your friends. It's really the best way to support us is to help spread the word. Uh, So subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on Instagram at sadgirlsyllabus.com.